Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 18. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to the tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would, be, so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Say hello to the people around you in your Zoom. Look to the left, look to the right. Just, just pretend to wave to one another, uh, knowing that the Lord is here amongst us as a church. Uh, it's really fortuitous that Paul talked about the Great Commission because we'll be talking a little bit about that at the end of this message as well. Because the question that I want to pose to you and that I think this passage answers is the question, what is the purpose of the church? Why did God institute the church? And not simply the church universal, but why does God, why did God institute local churches in different places all over the world? We know in the early church in Acts that wherever Paul went, he established a church, a church with elders, a church with deacons, a church with, with leaders to, to protect the doctrine and to continue to make disciples of all nations. And here in our world today, we see churches being established all over the world as well. And the question that often comes up is, what's the purpose of a church? You are here today worshiping virtually together. You gather together in community groups. You gather together to pray. You gather together to, to encourage one another. But why? What is the purpose of the church? What is its central tenet? And why is it that we must obey the Lord and follow him and his great design to bring forth all nations to himself? Here in Luke chapter 20, verse 9 through 18, we hear Jesus give a parable about wicked tenants. They were given the task to care for and tend for, tend a vineyard that a man had owned. Now, when you think of vineyards, you, you can't help but think of all the places in Scripture where the term vineyard pops up. Vineyard is a picture of fruitfulness and prosperity. 
If you're able to have a vineyard, it means that you're able to not simply provide food on the table and protection around you, but you're able to, to provide the, the goodness of wine, the goodness of enjoyment of the good things in life. In many ways, a vineyard is the apex of knowing that you have safety and security and enjoyment in all things. It's, it's, it's their suburbia. It's their uh, making it to the mountaintop. And God, all through scripture, shares that if you are able to plant a vineyard or you're able to see a vineyard, that land and that place is full of prosperity. We see that when the Israelites are, are looking over the Jordan about to, to take Israel, and God says to them, look, this, this place is filled with vineyards. We see that in Deuteronomy when, when, G, when God tells the Israelites, listen, if someone amongst you has just gotten married and has just planted a vineyard, they don't have to go out and fight. Give them a, a year to enjoy themselves. And in fact, God in Isaiah chapter 5 talks about the nation of Israel as being his vineyard. In other words, the nation of Israel is the most precious of all of creation because through Israel, all the nations were to be saved. Isaiah chapter 5 is an interesting passage because it's one of those um, backhand slaps to the face of Israel, if I can put it that way. If you have your Bibles, please open to it. If not, just, just listen to the way God talks to the nation of Israel. He says this in Isaiah chapter 5. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. At this point, there's this beautiful poetry in the Hebrew of God saying, I have planted my vineyard, and look how beautiful it is. But this poetry that looks like a love song turns into judgment very quickly. You can see how the hearers of this will be just absolutely in shock. He says, it did not yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes, which did not have the, the fruitfulness of, 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 of good grapes that were to be planted. Uh, verse 5, and now, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its head, hedge. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall. And it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that the rain, no rain upon it. All of a sudden, you see that this picture of a vineyard, something beautiful, that God, instead of, of cultivating it, is going to bring judgment upon it and destroy it. This is the background by which here in the New Testament, people are hearing the story, every story of the vineyard. Vineyard is God's favor. We see this in the Gospel of John where, where Jesus says, listen, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
that my father prunes every branch that does not bear fruit. And again, the picture there is that the vineyard is the apex of prosperity. It's the apex of God's design. And yet those that do not bear fruit will be cut off. And so the hearer is ready. They're ready to hear the story about the vineyard. They understand there's going to be a story about prosperity. But now there's an expectation. Where is the judgment? Where is the rebuke? And in this passage, we have something a bit different in the way that the author, or the way that Jesus uses this imagery of the vineyard. He says that when the man planted the vineyard, he allowed the tenants to tend for it. And as someone who owned it, he sent his servants to, to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard and to allow his tenants to keep the remainder. But these servants, instead of giving the, the fruit to the servants, simply beat him and wounded him and sent him away. These tenants believe that the vineyard that they were given belonged to them and them alone. Now the owner decided, listen, surely if I send my son, they will listen to him. They will respect him. They will say, this is the son of the owner. And if, he, and if I send him, they will give to the son what is due me. So they sent, so he sent his son. In verse 14, what happens? But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir, let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now listen carefully to this passage. This passage was a warning to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. But this passage is also a warning to us and to the church at large as well. You see, in this passage, we could surmise that what God was doing was God was telling the nation of Israel, listen, you must obey my words and you must do the things that I've commanded you to do, that my kingdom may be built and that you may prosper, that you may grow in faith, grow in love, that the nations may know that I am Yahweh, God. And these servants that, that, that God had said, we could surmise that they were the prophets of old. Prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha, that God had sent prophets time and time again to judge Israel and say, you have strayed away from my commandments. You have bowed down to other gods. You have erected statues to worship them instead of me. Your hearts are far from me. Come back to me. Return to me. Lest I destroy you, lest, like in Isaiah 5, I tear you down 
and destroy you once again. It's incumbent upon us to understand that there is a natural tendency for all of us, natural tendency for every church to sort of slowly walk away and slip away from the purposes that God has given to the church. And when we slowly forget the purposes of the church, God will slowly take away his grace and his presence. We see that in Revelations with, with the cities and, 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 the, and the light lampposts that he puts in each city. And he judges the cities and says, listen, you have not followed me. I will remove your lamppost. I will remove my presence from you. The final prophet in this passage that, that God sends is his son. And it's his son, Jesus. And God says, surely if I send my son, Jesus, they will hear and listen to him. But the wicked tenants, what? They killed him. For they truly believed that the vineyard belonged to them. They truly believed that the church belonged to them. Brothers and sisters, this is where we all have to be careful about our hearts and about our purposes of why we are a church and why we worship God himself. The church does not belong to us. Neither did Israel belong to them. The church belongs to the living God. Israel belonged to Yahweh himself. None of us own the church as if, and just like in the Old Testament, no one in Israel owned Israel. It was God's covenant with them. I am yours. It is God's promise to the church. You belong to me. And it is with God at the center of all things that allows the church to prosper and allows the church to grow. Let me ask you, why do you come to church? Why do you join us in community groups? Why do you worship alongside of us? Why do you generously give to the ministries of our church? Is it to build up the reputation of CCPC? Is it to have a successful ministry that we can say to people, look, look at us and what we're doing? 
Is it simply just to have friends and just people to hang out with? All of those things in one way or another could be good things, could be bad things. But all of those things, well, they're not to be what we build the foundation of our church with. Our church belongs to the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And our Lord and Savior has every right to, to, to every right to, to tend our church the way he wants to tend our church. And our Lord has every right to ask of us of all that we are and all that we, we have to build his church. And Jesus wants us to center our hearts and center on our minds in bringing this church in line with, as Paul shared with us, the Great Commission. The mission of this church is not simply to grow the church. The mission of this church is to make disciples of all nations. The mission of this church is that every single one of us would bring God glory by, by declaring our faith, proclaiming our faith to all those who, who are around us. Our hope and prayer is that we would see more baptisms. And, and baptisms symbolize people coming from darkness to light, people repenting and, and coming to faith in Jesus. We want to see people obeying everything that God has written. In other words, that our hearts would change to, to such an extent as we grow here in the world that we would love the Lord more than anything else in the world. Our conversations and our fellowships should be such that we unabashedly talk about Jesus and talk about God, talk about our sins and talk about our struggles that we may see Jesus and his glory in the midst of us. I know these last seven months have been difficult for, for many of us. The pandemic has allowed many of us to, or has forced many of us to, to adjust day in and day out. We never feel, we've never felt balanced. We've always felt a little off kilter. Every time we thought we had our footing, something else would happen and we get off balance. And for many of us, that's, that's distracting. It's terrible. Um, for me, I, I liken it to it, when someone asked me, well, what do you like in the, the, um, this pandemic too for you personally? I said, it's like me trying to get a good night's sleep and somebody waking me up every 30 minutes just to wake me up. And then after I wake up, this is sort of the me that you're going to get. And in the midst of that, for me to wrestle with how to, to center myself and to live myself and to be productive. Now, none of you, none of us want to live that way. None of us do. 
But what if I were to tell you that that's exactly the way the church should live? Let me say that again. That is the way the church should live. That every 30 minutes, every day, every moment, God pricks you and says, hey, your eyes are off the goal of living for me. Come back to me. Hey, there's more to this life than the things that you're grasping for. Come back to me. And it may seem exhausting for us to always talk about God, how to glorify him, to always talk about our sin and how to repent of it. But it's only exhausting. I mean, it's only exhausting if we simply apply our counterfeit repentance and our counterfeit hope to these things. For Jesus has promised us that his hope and his forgiveness does heal and does allow us to live by faith in the midst of the storms of this life. There is a peace that God has promised to all who trust in him. There is a peace that God has promised to his church in the midst of chaos. Our church, CCPC, in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of difficult relationships, in the midst of this pandemic, we look to Christ and Christ alone and we say, Jesus and Jesus is the only reason that this ministry exists. That's it. As some of you know, we, we used to be at KFPC, um, Korean First Presbyterian Church, um, before we became this independent um, church plant. And during my time there, they had built this huge gym. And if, if some of you remember that gym, that gym had this huge basketball court. And someone one, once asked me and said, Pastor Young, are you going to have this huge basketball ministry now, now that you are the first church in Atlanta, Georgia to have a full-size basketball court? Are you going to have this massive basketball ministry to draw people uh, into your church? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? No. I said, if someone else in our church wanted to do it, I'm fine with that in a sense, but I'm not here to win people to basketball. We're not here to win people to our smiles. We're not here to win people to our, our good looks. We're not here to win people to, the, to uh, uh, I don't know, whatever, our good food or, or our coffee, whatever else we have to offer. We're here to win people to Jesus. And that is what we project, and that is what we hope that people will see in us. To allow people to come to faith not because of the peripheral things but come to faith because of the cornerstone, the capstone, Christ is who they long to worship and who they want to see brothers and sisters here in this parable 
And Jesus says, the wicked tenants are the ones who believe that their church or the nation of Israel, but, but here's the church, belongs to them. It belongs to them alone. But they have every right to make this church into their own image. To make this church into something that glorifies themselves, that gives them satisfaction. Something that they can build and leave as a legacy, perhaps, to others. But when we do that, we are the ones who are rejecting the capstone or rejecting the Lord himself. Now, at this point, you might say, well, Pastor, you know, this is a really dark sermon. Well, I hope it's at the very least sobering. But here's the good news that comes with us. The good news is that God is the one who wants to build this church. God is the one who labors to build this church. God is the architect. God is the contractor. God is the builder. God is the sustainer. God is the maintenance man. God is doing everything to erect this church that it may bring him glory. We need not meddle in the blueprints. We, not, we need not be that person who looks at the blueprints and every, every week or so tweak it a little bit to make it, to make it more accessible to us. We simply follow the blueprint to obey the Lord, to read his word, to pray, to fellowship in Christ, to repent, to believe, to go out and tell people the mission, tell people that Jesus, that, that if they repent, that they too can know Jesus. That's all we have to do. And then the Lord will slowly in his time provide all the things that are necessary to build, we just need to obey. And this is the beautiful thing, is that we don't have to sit down and figure things out. God has told us all things. And so we walk in obedience. And we say the cornerstone, which is Jesus himself, that you are the one that we worship. We will not, not throw you away. We will not relegate you to the corner of this room. You are center to who we are and who we worship. And so Jesus, who for many people in this world, they believe Jesus and his teachings crushes them. They don't want a Jesus who judges. They don't want a Jesus who takes sin so seriously. And they don't want a Jesus who cramps our lifestyle. But for us, we know that without Jesus, we have no hope. And without Jesus, building a church becomes almost an impossible task with so many voices and so many desires. So I ask you, my brothers and sisters, as we continue to walk together as a church, don't fear the hard conversations. Don't fear talking about scripture with one another. Don't fear sharing Jesus with the world around you. 
That's what God has commanded us to do. Don't hide yourself by being busy at the church or by busy doing ministry or by busy doing things with other people in the church and disguise it as church. We do not build this church just on community for community's sake. We build this church to help each other grow in the Lord. Lastly, brothers and sisters, when we build CCPC, we know that this church is a temporary church. Every church is a temporary church. Every church. There's not one church in all the world that, that can last more than two, gener two or even three generations and still be faithful to the Lord. We're not here to build CCPC for the sake of CCPC. We're not here to be proud of the church that we have and say, wow, look at what we're doing and to place our value on our progress. In Luke chapter um, 10, verse 20, the disciples had, had come back doing miracles, driving out demons and healing people. If you remember that passage. And Jesus says to the disciples, what? Rejoice not that the spirits submit to you, but simply rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Yes, it is wonderful that God has given us this privilege to build his church alongside with him. But even this, we hold loosely in our hands. We do not derive value by how our church is doing, per se. We love our church. We serve our church. We want to see Christ magnified in our church. But in order for us to do this well, our hearts must only rejoice in one thing, that our names are written in heaven and that his love for us is perfect. Only then can we love our church. Only then do we not seek to der derive meaning and derive, derive uh, significance from how our church is doing we're able to look at the church the way God looks at us. Fragile, broken people in need of his grace. But the people who have been loved, whose names have been written in heaven, that we may serve him and serve him alone. So CCPC, my charge to you is, is very simple. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Rejoice in him and him alone with all your heart. Look at our church and say, this church belongs to Jesus and we have a task to do. We have a responsibility for him and everything serves that to make disciples of all nations. Let us grow our hearts and our faith in such a way that people may see our church and through our church See Jesus and Jesus magnified. Let's pray.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy in all things. And we ask of you once again, Lord God, to build this church in your image, in your image alone. Father, may we be that vineyard that you are pleased with, a vineyard that grows fruit according to the Spirit, a vineyard, Lord, that where people taste of its drink, they, they taste Jesus, they taste his righteousness, his his sacrifice, his love, and his forgiveness. May that be sweet to them, as it is sweet to us. Lord, we do lament and we are saddened when people taste of your fruit and reject you. But you have told us that is part of being a people called out to yourself. But Lord, we also rejoice because in that same tasting, people will see the true you, the true gospel, and will turn to the true you, the true Jesus that gives salvation, Lord. And so help us to labor and labor well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.